Chapter 3 of Tales from Ariosto by Joseph Shield Nicholson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Wilkie Mills, Buffalo, New York. Tales from Ariosto by Joseph Shield Nicholson. Chapter 3. Rodomont and the Invasion of Europe by the Saracens. As Charlemagne was supreme ruler of Christendom, so was Agramant of Pagania. If Charlemagne could boast of his descent from Hector of Troy, Agramant could claim a direct blood relationship with Alexander the Great. I find it written in the book of Turpin. So narrates Boyardo that Alexander the mighty king, after he had conquered all the earth and even shown his lordship over the air and the sea in his arrogance, was himself taken captive in the kingdom of Egypt by Elidonia, a maiden of that country, and charmed by her beauty. He lived with her, par amour, and in honor of his love to her he built for her a great city on the sea, and he called the city Alexandria, and so it is called to this day. And after building this city, Alexander made a journey to Babylon, and was there treacherously poisoned. Thereupon the whole world was upset, and one man took one piece and one man another, and there was war universal. When Elidonia heard that the empire of Alexander was in ruins, she feared greatly, and knowing that she was soon to be a mother, she fled alone in a little vessel, and let it sail wheresoever it would. And she was driven by a gentle wind over a smooth sea till the keel grounded on a sandy shore where a fisherman was plying his nets, and she called to him, and offered him a rich reward, and in his hut she waited the fulfillment of her time, and gave birth to three sons. And the three sons grew up to be men of valor, and all Africa and the coasts of Barbary and the lands of the Negroes came under their sway. And from the three sons the city of Tripolis got his name, and the nations of Africa submitted to them not so much through stress of arms as through love of their gracious clemency, and they ruled from Egypt to Morocco and southwards to the nations beyond the great deserts, and two of the brothers died childless, but from the third sprang the kings of the Saracens, who mastered Spain and part of Italy, and, storming through France, threatened all Christendom. But in the last attack on France, the Saracen king, Troiano, lost his life, and he left his kingdom to his son, who was only seven years old at the time of his father's death. This boy was Agramant, and he grew up tall and strong and beautiful as a man may be, but his eyes had the look of a bird of prey. At the time this story begins, Agramant had reached the age of twenty-two, and not a cavalier in all Africa dared to look him in the face 
save one only. This was Rodomont, king of Sarza, son of Ulieno. And he was even more proud and fierce than Agramont, and, moreover, he was a giant in stature. If Agramont was the Charlemagne of the Saracens, Rodomont was their Orlando, and the story of the invasion of Europe by the Saracens is centered in Rodomont. Now when the siege of Albraca in the Far Café was at its height, Agramont, Emperor of Africa, called together a great council, and there were bidden to it two and thirty kings who owed him allegiance. And so wide were his dominions that it took four months before the full council was assembled. Thirty-two crowned heads came to Biserta, the capital of Agramont, and not one disobeyed the command. And in those days Biserta was a great city, though up to our times it never recovered from the ruin which it suffered afterwards at the hands of Orlando. And the masses of Saracens, owing to their numbers, were encamped in the plain outside Biserta, but the two and thirty kings made entry into the city for a grand festival. The imperial palace of Agramont was a huge castle, and the sun never shone on a scene of greater magnificence and splendor. When the kings entered the great hall, it seemed to them that the doors of paradise had been thrown open. Five hundred paces in length was this hall, and one hundred in breadth. The ceiling was of gold, inlaid with red and white and green. On the walls were sculptured in bas-relief all the glories of the great Alexander from birth to death, and over the walls were scattered shining rubies and sapphires. The sculptures also showed the last voyage of Elidonia and her three boys playing with the fishermen's nets, and their conquest by war and peace of all Africa. And as the kings traversed the great hall, their hearts melted within them with wonder, and the trumpets blared, and the cymbals clashed, and the beautiful dancers gave them welcome, and all the air was filled with joyousness. Above them all, exalted on a high throne and in royal robes, sat King Agramant, and to him the other kings made obeisance, bowing their faces to earth. And Agramant rose up and gave them one and all the kiss of peace. Then he bade all below knightly rank leave the hall, so that there remained for the great council only the kings and the dukes and the marquises and the counts and the cavaliers. The thirty-two kings had seats of gold, and the other dignitaries, according to their worth, were placed in order below the great throne, and Agramant rose up and said, You have come at my command to this council, and I well know that the more you show me your affection, so much the more ought I to show unto you also love and honor and it has always been my desire that your honor should be exalted equally with mine own. But it is not by hunting and dancing and making festivals for ladies in gardens of delight that our reputation, yours and mine, will be made to endure in the great world. 
but we must make it known by the drums of war. After death, only fame is left, and truly miserable are they that strive not always to add to their fame, for life endures but a little time. And do not think that Alexander the Great, our ancestor, conquered the world by delicate banquets and festivals. His name is to this day known throughout the world and his story shows that glory is only gained by the sweat of the body and by the naked sword. Wherefore I pray you, my valorous people, to keep in remembrance of your own selves, and let the care of your own honor be dear to you. And I pray you, if ever I am to found my hopes on you, if indeed you love me as your lord, that you should voyage with me to France and make war upon King Charles, and give new dominions to the laws of Mohammed. And therefore the king made an end of speaking, and waited in silence for a reply. And the old king of Bugia, Branzardo, seeing that all eyes were turned to him, rose up in the assembly and said, High-minded Lord, all that man knows must be put to the trial of example and experience, and since I am bound to give you my opinion, I shall say this. Your expedition against Charles will be vain and end in ruin, and the reason is plain. Charles has under his command veterans inured to war and trained in well-ordered discipline and not given to fight, like your men, every man for his own hand. But you must take to battle raw levies and they cannot stand against his veterans. And Alexander himself gives us an example, for he passed over the sea with soldiers gray with years but trained in disciplined bravery. And Darius the king of Persia brought against him a mixed multitude of men who knew not one another, and he led them only to discomfiture and death. And why should I recall your own race and the losses they suffered in Italy, and your own father, Troiano, who lost his army and his life in war against the Christians? Therefore, I say, in the name of God, give up this evil empire and curb your ardor. My dearest Lord, if I oppose your wish more than any other, I have the right. For if you fail, then my grief will be of all the most heavy. For I have carried you in my arms, and to me you are not only my sovereign, but my son. And King Branzardo knelt down before Agramant, and then returned to his place and there rose to his feet another old man, King Sobrino, and he had fought against the Christians, and well he knew their country and their powers. And he said, This grey beard may perchance seem to show that my spirit is failing, but by the power of Mohammed I swear that if my body is marked by time, my spirit is as strong as when I fought against Rogero in Italy. Therefore, do not think that it is out of cowardice that I oppose your expedition, or out of fear for my own life, for but a little time have I to live, and the rest of my days I will spend as you command. But I speak as your old servant, and I give what seems to me the best counsel. 
two ways said the old king are open for the attack on france we may cross the sea direct but on landing we should be met by the christians in greater numbers and as i know every man of theirs is equal to ten of ours this way is the way of desperate folly by the other way we should pass over the straits of gibraltar and your kingsman marsilio king of spain would join his forces to yours christendom some will say would then be at our mercy but in my heart i think that the end will be more difficult than the beginning for granted we pass the mountains and overrun Gascony, we have still to reckon with Rinaldo, who defends the pass at Montalbano. God save us all from his hands. And whilst we are held in check by Rinaldo, Charles will come down on us with all his paladins, and in all the world there are no such warriors, and they do not look for safety to walled cities, but they fight in the open." and with Charles will come that accursed one, the strongest of all, Orlando, who took from Almonte his horn and Durindana, the sword that cuts through everything. Well I know the paladins, for I proved them when I fought by the side of King Agolant, your grandfather. And this is the end of my counsel. A third way is the best, and that is to leave them alone." Now Rodomant, the king of Sarza, was a young man, a giant in frame, and he was so disdainful, so reckless in his courage, so arrogant in his pride, that he held all the world in scorn, save his suzerain king Agramant. And he rose to his feet and said, In every place, whenever a flame is kindled, it is at first feeble, though it grows in time to be a great fire. In the end, however, the greatest fire must little by little lose its light and die away into blackness. And as is the fire, so is man, for after he has passed the freshness of vigor, he loses keenness of sight and of mind. And this we see is the case of these two who have just spoken. Once on a time they were valiant and wise counsellors, but now they have lost their senses, for they do not see that the request of our mighty king is a command, and the greybeard is ever ready with counsel and never with aid. But our lord the king does not ask you for counsel, if ye have understood his words, but he commands you, on your fealty and on your honour, to make with him passage to France." and whosoever shall deny this royal mandate, he is a traitor, and must meet me in battle to the death. Thus spoke Rodomont, king of Sarza, with all the pride of arrogant youth, and he looked round on the assembly with superb disdain, as if none would venture to answer him. But in the council there sat the king of Garamanta. He was a priest of Apollo, wise with the wisdom of more than ninety years, a reader of the stars, a diviner, and a great magician. His kingdom was a wide, flat plain, where not a tree raised its head, and he numbered the stars and measured the heavens with gaze unimpeded on every side. Little cared this old king for the threats of Rodomont, and he rose up and said, 
This youth thinks that he alone should speak, and all the rest be silent. And if he pleases, let him not hear me, and let him do unto me what evil he can. But do you hear from me the words of the god? For my heart grieves not for Rodomont, but for the others. Hear, then, ye god-fearing people, this saying of the great god Apollo. All those who shall reach France after a toilsome and weary way shall there die, and be cut into pieces. Not one of you shall escape, great or small, and Rodomont, with all his power, shall be made food for the ravens of France. He ended, and Rodomont laughed scornfully, as he heard the prophecy of the old man and when at last he saw that he had ceased speaking, Rodamont, with a loud voice, broke out, "'Whilst we are here, I am content that you should prophesy according to your liking. But when we shall have crossed the sea and are wasting France with fire and sword, then no more shall you go about with your prophecies, for in that place I myself will be the prophet. To others you may threaten evil, but to me not, for I believe you not.' and I think that a shriveled brain and much wine make you devise the sayings of Apollo. And many laughed when they heard this arrogant reply, for the young men of Africa longed for this great war. But the old men who had made the venture with Agolant, and who had proved our cavaliers, said to one another that this way was prepared the destruction of all Africa and the great hall was filled with murmurs of many voices. But King Agramont rose up and stretched out his hand and quelled the clamor, and then, in a voice neither high nor low, he said, It is my will, at all hazards, to make war on Charles the Great, and it is my will that every one of you should come, and it is mine to command and yours to obey. And do not think that after I have broken into fragments the kingdom of Charles that I shall rest from my labor. When I have conquered the countries of the baptized, I will go on conquering and to conquer until the whole earth is under my dominion. And when I have subdued this world, then in heaven itself will I wage war. And when he heard these words, the gigantic Rodomont leaped to his feet and shouted with joy, My king, my king, your name shall be heard wherever the sun makes day, and I swear with all my heart and mind that up to heaven or down to hell I will follow my king Agramont, or, if he wills it, go before. And one and all the other chiefs vowed by their god Mohammed that over seas and mountains they would follow King Agramont to the last. And even the old men, who feared what the end might be, took the oath with the light-heartedness of courage. But the king of Garamanta, the venerable soothsayer, again rose up and said, My king, I am also willing to die if our race is bent on destruction, and I also would wish to go with you to Europe though well I know all will perish. What matters it to one who has already reached the fullness of years? But I pray you still hear me in this one thing, which I tell you 
on the part of Apollo, if ye are indeed determined to pass over the seas. There is in your kingdom a paladin, who, as I know from the stars, has not his equal in prowess on the face of the earth. And Apollo gives you by me this message. If you shall take with you to France this baron, you may there at least reap glory and honor for a time, and more than once drive King Charles before you. And if you ask who is this hero, I say to you that his mother, by name Galicella, was sister to your own father, and the father of this paladin was the good Rogero, the flower and crown of Christian chivalry. And after he had been betrayed and slain, and his city burned, his wretched wife, your father's sister, set sail for our country, and on a desolate shore gave birth to a boy and a girl, and she called the boy Rogero after his father. And I have heard that the sister is of all women now the most beautiful. Galicella died in childbirth, and her children came into the power of a Vavasor, who is a great magician and is also of your kingdom. And the name of this magician is Atlante, and he dwells on Mount Carena. And here he has made, by the aid of his incantations, a wonderful garden which no man may enter. And knowing that the boy was to be the greatest warrior on the earth, he nourished him with the flesh and the marrow of lions, and he has trained him in every nightly exercise. And it is only if you take with you to France this Rogero that you may hope to conquer, at least for a time, the great Charles. And otherwise I declare to you that your race will perish, and you will with them, broken and dishonored. Thus spake the venerable king, and Agramant believed in his words, because he was held in repute as a great prophet, and often in the past he had watched the courses of the stars and had foretold abundance and famine, peace and war. Wherefore Agramant determined to search all that mountain and to find this valiant youth who was to lead his fortune in the war against France. All over the vast range of Mount Carena, the search was made under the leadership of Malabuferso, king of Fizzano. In vain he searched, both on the side of the sea and the side of the desert, and at last he returned to Agramant in Biserta. By your command, he said, I have searched all over the ranges of Carena, and after long fatigue and much labor, I have seen on the last day as much as I saw on the first, barren rocks and not a trace of Rogero or Atlante's garden. And in my belief, the real Rogero died at Risa, and no son was born to him as was alleged by the king of Garamanta. Let him find Rogero by his divination if he can, this old snake charmer. Long ago we ought to have passed the straits, but he has set us to seek what does not exist, to delay our expedition. And as he was speaking, King Rodomont with difficulty restrained himself until he had made an end, and then he laughed loudly and cried out, 
Well, I knew all the time that this old man was deluding our king in order to delay the war, and ill fares the man who puts faith in things told but not seen. Men in our days have invented a new fashion of lying, and to give color to their lies they pretend to measure the sky, and they tell dreams, and profess to announce by the aid of Mercury and Jupiter and Mars the oncoming of war and of peace. But if there be indeed any god at all in the heavens, and I at any rate know of none for certain, there he stays on high and cares not what befalls us here below. No man has seen him at any time, but the common sort believe in him by fear. But this is my faith, and this I declare. My good sword, and my armor, and my mace, and my war-horse, and my own courage, these and no other are my god. But this old king of Garamanta sits still and draws circles in the ashes with a rod of olive, and he tells us that when the sun is joined to Venus, the world will be free from evil. And when the tender grass is bedecked with spring flowers, then the king ought not to make this voyage, but sit still and grow fat. My king, I marvel how you can be made to remain here with such nonsense and I could take this old man by the hair and hurl him over to France, and I know not what prevents me showing you this sport. But the hoary king of Garamanta smiled and said, Neither the words nor the fierce looks of this youth will make me afraid to tell to you the truth. As you can plainly see, he has lost the last grains of the little sense he had. He cares not for God, and God cares not for him. Let him alone, and let us talk of other things. I said to you, and again I say, that on Mount Carena dwells that faithful youth who has not in the world his equal for might. And I said before, and again I say, that to find him will cost much trouble, because his guardian is a great magician, and regards him well. And on the mountain... He has laid out a garden, and round about it he has put a wall of glass, and it stands upon a very high rock, and the rock has been so well cut by the spirits from hell that none can climb it without the will of the guardian, and never yet has mortal man seen this garden, not even from afar. Rodomont, I well know, does not believe me. See how he laughs like a madman but there is one way by which the garden may be seen. There is a ring which has the power, and many times it has been proved of overcoming every kind of enchantment. This ring is now held by Angelica, the daughter of King Galafrone, and they are even now besieged in Cathay, beyond India, by Marfisa and Agrican, and a host of enemies. If you have not this ring in your possession, in vain do you search for the garden, and you will never find it. And if you attempt the voyage without Rogero, you shall suffer extreme woes, and shall never return from beyond the sea, and all Africa shall be put to mourning. And here the old king bowed his head and wept, and then again he spoke. More than others am I unfortunate, 
for I know before my time what is to be my fate. And in proof of what I have said, I declare that even now my death is near at hand. As soon as ever the sun enters into the sign of the crab, then shall my life be ended, and that shall be within the space of an hour. And if ye have other commands for Mohammed, I will be your ambassador, but hold fast in your minds the words I have spoken, and once more I will speak them, if ye go to France without that youthful baron in whom, as I have shown, lies your safety, all your race shall perish miserably. And not long after, at the very moment that he had foretold, the old king fell dead. And King Agramant was dismayed, and all that were with him, even those who had at first been most bold, for when they saw the old king dead, they believed all that he had spoken. Rodamont alone believed not, and feared not, and said, I too could easily, O king, have made this prophecy, that this old man, ill at ease and full of wrath, could not long escape death. Weak, with years and ailments, he felt his life ebbing away, do you think that he has given you a great proof when he said he would soon die? Is it then a thing so strange and new for an old man to finish his life? Stay ye here and feast in your old lands, but beyond the seas I will go, I alone, and I will see if heaven has such power that it can keep me from being crowned King of France. And he said no more but departed to his own kingdom of Sarza, and there he gathered his people and led his forces to Algiers, whence he proposed to sail straight for France, despite the wisdom of old Sobrino. The others sat on in council and discussed many things, and King Agramant regained his courage and at all costs determined to cross the seas and every other chief promised to go with him, joyfully if Rodrigo could be found, and if not, then they would still go, even with foreboding. And King Agramant himself was also of this mind, and in the council he made proclamation that if any one should be so bold as to find Angelica, the daughter of King Galafrone, and to take the ring from her finger, he would make him king of a wide country and rich with boundless treasure. Right well the counsellors understood the king's intent, but not one ventured to undertake the task. Now the king of Fez was an old man, white with age, and he said to King Agramant, Let me go away for a little time, and I hope Mohammed will give me his aid for I wish to bring to you a servant of mine. Not long was he absent, and he brought back with him an ugly dwarf. More than any mortal was he quick of his hands, and Brunello was his name, and he was a master thief. Small he was in body, but marvelously full of guile, and he spoke always in the jargon of thieves. In height he was about five stands, or a little less. His voice was the voice of a horn, and he was forever chattering and forever robbing. He always robbed by night, and was not seen by day. His hair was the hair of a negro, short, black, and curly, 
and as he looked round the hall and saw the quantities of gold and jewels, he wished in his heart that he was for once a giant to carry away all he could steal. And he came up to the throne and said, I will never rest, O king, until I have gained for myself the promised kingdom by my art and my snares and my skill in theft. The ring shall I get without fail and bring it to your palace. But I beg of you, after this, to give me some greater task. I would steal for you the moon out of the sky, and I would take his pitchfork from the devil, and to spite the Christians I would steal the sound from the bell of the Pope. The king marveled to see so small a thing make so large boasts, and the little man went away to sleep in the daytime, for he loved to journey by night. And before he left the king's hall he stole from the walls, unknown to any, the best of the jewels, and mourned in his heart because his strength was too feeble for him to take away more. And after a long sitting the council broke up and everyone returned to his own land to make ready for the expedition. And to every king Agramant gave gifts, jewels and vessels of gold, armor and war-horses and hounds and falcons. And every king went away rejoicing in his gifts. And Brunello proved himself to be the king of thieves of all countries and of all times. He stole the ring from Angelica as he watched the fighting from the battlements of Albraca, and other things also he stole at Albraca and on his journey back. And for stealing her sword he was chased in vain by Marfisa, and all who delight in tales of robbery and guile will find his doings faithfully recorded in the verses of Boyardo, and all who are pleased to hear that a thief meets his due reward may read of the hanging of Brunello in the stories of the divine Ariosto. And here it can only be mentioned that when Agramant got the ring, he found Rogero on Mount Carena, and Rogero went with him to France, and proved himself to be the best of the Saracens. But long before all these things were fulfilled, and before Brunello had returned from Abraca with the ring, Rodomont had reached Algiers with his forces, and in despite of the shrewd advice of old Sobrino, he scorned to go by way of Spain, and a friendly alliance, and his mind was fixed to sail straight to the southern shore of France. All the host of Rodomont was encamped by the sea at Algiers, waiting for a favorable wind, and to Rodomont as he waited, it seemed that he would never reach that land where he was to begin laying waste the whole world with fire and sword. And he cursed the maker of the sea and of the wind because he could not voyage as he pleased. Already he had lost a month on the journey from Sarza to Algiers, and at last he lost all patience and said to the master mariner and the sailors that, favorable wind or unfavorable, that night they should set out for France. Blow as you will, he roared to the winds, blow your fiercest, but this night I set sail for France. I am not your vassal, nor the vassal of the waves. Agramont, 
alone can command me, and him alone am I content to obey. To obey him, and him only, is always my pleasure. But for the rest, I am a warrior, and I love not peace, nor the ways of peace. And he called to him his chief pilot, a man from Morocco, white with years, well versed in navigation and skilled in seamanship. And Rodomont said to him, On what ground have you kept me here so long a time? Already I have wasted six whole days. To you it may seem little. But in six days over there I would have put in flames six cities. Look you to it that these ships are ready to sail this night, and do not care to be more prudent than I am myself. And if I drown, that will be my loss, and if all my people perish with me, that concerns me not at all, for when I go to the bottom of the sea, I would I could draw after me the whole world. And the pilot answered, Scombrano was his name, Mighty king, the wind is contrary, and the sea runs high, and is getting worse every moment. And I notice other signs of bad weather. The sun is sickly, and sets behind banks of clouds, and the moon is sometimes red and sometimes white, sure signs of storm and evil fortune. The sea-birds are flocking to the sands, the gulls fly round our heads, and the heron high out of sight, sure signs these of tempest and the dolphins are leaping up on every side, and the sea must be moved to its lowest depths. But, say you, we are to set sail in the darkness if it so please you. I see plainly that we are dead men, and if Mohammed himself were to assure me that there is no death in this venture, I would say to him, Go thou, and let me remain in port. And Rodomont answered fiercely, Dead or living, it is my will to pass over, and I reach France alive. In three days I will subdue it altogether. And if I am carried there dead, dead though I be, I will make that people so fearful that they will flee away, and I shall be the victor. And that night, as he commanded, the ships set out from Algiers, and the storm winds blew, now from this quarter and now from that, and hurled the great waves one against the other. And the sea grew black, and the air and the sky put on the color of death. And one wind poured down rain and another hail, and the sea was raised in mountains to the sky, and in the valleys between the floor of the ocean was shaken. And the ships were so filled with men and stores and arms and horses that even in calm weather good seamanship was needed, but now there was no light save the forked lightning, and thunder and howling of the winds drowned all other sounds, and every man shouted commands, and none obeyed, and the ships were tossed hither and thither as they were stricken by the seas. Rodomont alone was undismayed. Rodomont alone gave help in every need, and himself toiled at the ropes, and with his great voice was heard above the storm. And if he was not instantly obeyed, without a word he threw overboard the offender. And he stood in the midst of the storm, 
and the freezing waters beat on his uncovered head, and his hair matted with ice rattled about his ears, and he cared no more than if he had been in his own chamber in a well-guarded palace. And the ships which had set sail in an ordered fleet were driven apart and scattered over the sea. No stars, no moon broke the blackness of night, and in the black water ship was broken against ship, rain and hail fell in torrents, and the seas broke over the decks and washed away the seamen, and the wretched soldiery were huddled together in fear of instant death, and Rodemont alone knew no fear, and whilst all else were vowing vows and praying prayers, he shook his clenched fists against the sky, and cursed the world and nature and God with words that terrified the boldest. Three days and nights they were battered by the storm, and saw not a gleam of the sky through the driving sleet. And on the fourth day they came upon the height of their peril, for the ships that survived of the great fleet were driven to the bay just below Monaco and the people of the place knew them to be Saracens, and cried, To arms! To arms! and rushed to the cliffs, and they hurled down on the ships great stones, and showers of arrows, and darts, and burning pitch. And on the prow of his ship stood Rodomont in full armor, and cared not for the rain of stones and fiery missiles that with their weight alone might have felled a giant, and proud, and cruel, and ferocious, and fearless, he bade his men drive the ships that remained with full sail on shore. And a terrible blast from the south, with thick rain and great hail, beat upon the wreckage, and nothing was heard but the shrieks of men and the crash of breaking timber. And there came down from the castle of Monaco, to the assistance of the natives, a great company of knights, under the leadership of the Count of Cremona. For when it was rumored that Agramant intended to make a descent on France, this great force had been stationed at Monaco to watch and guard against any landing. But in spite of this aid, Rodemont and the survivors of his men struggled through the breakers to the shore, and Rodemont alone wrought more havoc than all his people. Firm as a rock he stood to meet the charge of the Count of Cremona, and never moved as the great lance struck him full in the shield. But as the knight passed him, Rodomont raised his sword with both hands, and dealt a blow which cut in two the shield and the mail beneath, and made a great wound in the side. And the Count barely escaped with his life, and his squires led him back to the castle. And the Christians, deprived of their leader, could make no stand against Rodermont and the Saracens, and, of six or seven thousand foot-soldiers, not more than forty escaped. And had the Saracens not been on foot, every Christian cavalier would have perished. And when the pagans saw that the chase was in vain, they returned to the beach. And already the tempest had ceased, and the sea was calmer and wreckage of all kinds was floating into the shore. There had set sail from Algiers one hundred and ninety ships, great and small, 
laden with chosen warriors, and with horses and arms and all the munitions of war. And of this great fleet, only sixty vessels came to Monaco, and most of these were broken in the landing and made utterly useless for war or peace. And not one of the horses escaped, and all the stores were destroyed, and Rodamont, undaunted, cared not one straw for all the loss, and he called his men together and said, Take no thought, my companions, for what has been snatched from you by the tempest and the sea, and not long will we make delay in this place, for the people are poor. But I will lead you into the rich plains of France, where everyone wears on his neck a collar of gold, and you shall be repaid in plunder a thousandfold what you have lost by the sea. So he bade them be comforted, and he called this man and that by his name, and for that night he bade them sleep on the shore. Such was the beginning of the great invasion by the Saracens. End of chapter 3 Recording by Wilkie Mills, Buffalo, New York